0: Hi, Jim Kosho here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to the Dunn Solutions Podcast, where we're committed to providing cutting-edge industry knowledge for the building contractor and trade professional. Today, we'll hear from Tim Fowler, Senior Consultant and Master of Production at Remodelers Advantage, Inc., and a podcast host himself. Tim will share leadership principles for how to be a better manager in your company and how to help employees have a sense of ownership in the company's success. In this podcast, you will learn about... What it means to see it, own it, solve it, and do it. The difference between a reason and an excuse and the idea of joint accountability and examples of what that looks like in a company. If you have additional questions for Tim, you can reach him at thetimfowlershow.com. And for more information on attending future educational events, feel free to email me at jimc.dunlumber.com.
1: Thank you. So uh, when we were talking about the ideas that we could present tonight, one of my hot topics, and, and, and I think one of the reasons why it's a great topic for an association like this, is this idea of accountability. And I think it's, I'm gonna primarily use uh, remodeling illustrations, but for all of you that are not remodelers, whether you're a manufacturer or real estate or whatever you do, All of the things that we're going to talk about in here apply across every business. And so I really encourage you to to dig into this and really see uh, how this can really help you. So there's just a couple of things to let let you know, and this will come up towards the end as well. I do a podcast and uh, which is kind of cool because about two years ago, I didn't know what a podcast was, right? So my boss says to me, would you do a podcast? And I said, sure. And then I looked up and said, what's a podcast, right? But it's all about production. Um, Several people that are here tonight have been on that. Uh, Judith Miller was on there with me. Uh, But we're talking mostly about production management type topics in remodeling. So I really encourage you if you're interested in that, it's about 30 minutes each each episode and I also do a newsletter that comes out every month. just to give you a little idea about who I am. So let's dig, jump right into it. What are our challenges, right? So one of the biggest challenges we have is staffing, right? Like where do we find the people? And I'm going to come back to that a little bit and use it as an illustration for this presentation. But I think part of the challenge is accountability and getting the teams that we have to do the things that we want them to do or for those of you who are part of the teams, getting the boss to do the things that the boss needs to do, right, Todd? Okay, so there, you know, there, it goes both ways and you're going to see tonight, for the, for the owners of companies that brought your team so that I could straighten them out, we're going to help you as well, okay? But it is one of the challenges and I think one of the reasons why we really have to focus on accountability is the people that we do have on our teams, we have to make sure that we're using them and giving them as much as we can so that we can keep them on the team. So it was advertised that I'd be kind of focusing in on a book and I I understand that it might have implied that I wrote the book, okay? I didn't write the book, but there's a great book, The Oz Principle, the top of that line there, that I think I'm gonna recommend everybody in the room read this book and I'm gonna be talking about the principles that are associated Uh, in that book and relaying them to the construction world. But the other three books are books that I really recommend if you are interested in good people management, I highly recommend that you read these books. First break all the rules is a study that was done by the Gallup Association on what makes a good company to work for and what makes a good mid level manager. And so it has a incredible information that was came from studies. It isn't somebody sitting in an office going like, I think this. This is interviews and research that was done. Great information in there. The One Minute Manager book uh, meets the monkey. Of all the One Minute Manager books, I think it's the best one that they've done. But basically, the idea is that everything we do is a monkey. And a lot of business owners and a lot of managers pick up other people's monkeys. Okay. And so they're weighed down with all kinds of things that should be done by somebody else. And this is a great uh, story or image about how to get those monkeys onto the back of the person that they need to go to. And then many of us are familiar with The Great Game of Business, just a fantastic book about people management and, and managing a team so that everybody works together. So let's just jump right into the content. So generally when we think about accountability, accountability is always about sort of justifying what we've done or having to explain something that didn't go very well. So if we hold someone accountable, it's going to them and saying, Todd, why did you do this? And then we get on Todd's back and sorry, you sat right up front, Todd, but I'm going to pick on you. But, But it's like. We dig in and we have this you know, intense conversation and then typically very little changes as a result of that conversation. We feel like something's gonna change because there was a lot of intensity. We might've you know, argued and, and you know, kinda got angry with each other and then we get all done and we go like, like, let's do better. And Todd goes, yeah, let's do better. And we leave and very little changes. And so it's defined here a little bit by these sort of dictionary definitions. What I'm advocating and what this book has done a great job of of putting forth is this definition right here. And I'm gonna try not to read all the slides, right? But I'm gonna definitely read this one. Their definition is this, a personal choice, accountability is a personal choice to rise above one's circumstances and demonstrate the ownership necessary for achieving the desired results. To see it, own it, solve it, and do it. And so if you think about our typical definition of accountability being sort of this accusatory, argumentative situation, and then you look at that and you say, this is totally different. And the big difference is right here. It becomes a focus on what's gonna happen not what has happened in the past. Now obviously you have to talk about what happened, but the challenge is for us to get past that and get on to what's gonna change, what's gonna be different as we move forward. So this phrase, see it, own it, solve it, do it, is gonna come back up over and over again. Now, with Remodelers Advantage, I run the production manager roundtables program that we have and all the people in our program or most of them have read this book. A number of them have this saying posted right up over their desk. See it, own it, solve it, do it. And when something comes through where they go like, there's no way, like a budget comes from an estimator, the production guy looks at it and goes like, there's no way. You know, what were you smoking when you put this together? Right? And That's for real now in Washington, right? Like, what were you smoking, right? You, we used to just say that as a joke. Now it's a real thing. But, but it's like, so, so what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we've got the estimate, we've got the scope, we've got the job. How do we win now? How do we see it, own it, solve the problem, and then actually do it? So I'm going to give you all the details of that as we move forward. So basically it means I have to see what the situation is I, as an individual or as a business owner, I have to help other people own the situation. And that's probably the biggest challenge is, how do we get people to own the situation? How do we own it for ourselves? And then by doing that, once we own it, we can solve it. If we never own it, there is no solution. If, we all, if it's always somebody else's fault, if it's always somebody else's problem, if it's always the estimator's problem, right? we will never own it and therefore solve the problem. It will just continue to be a problem, right? So once we own it, then we can solve it. And then of course, once we've solved it, then we can actually change the future as we move forward. So one of the big concepts is thinking below the line above the line. Now this is not a new concept to this book. This comes across in many, many, many sort of self-help books and business books is basically You have to start thinking in a can do we can make this change as opposed to why does this always happen to me. So it's the victim mentality versus the ownership mentality. How do we I was joking with somebody that there I have a tagline on my uh, podcast and we're going to change it. So the new tagline for my podcast is going to be and remember we're helping production to remove it is what it is from its vocabulary. Right. Because it isn't what it is. Right. It is what we make it. And and the more we get that into our head, the better our chances of success. Okay. And so that's the idea here. So there's the victim mentality that says, why does this happen to me? And then there's the ownership mentality, which is above the line that says, I own this. How can I change it? Or how can I impact it as I go along? Now, they have these stages of the victim cycle. So I'm going to use the the manpower shortage that we have out there, the the skilled labor shortage that we have as a good illustration uh, as we go through this. Because I believe, and you'll see it later in a slide, I believe that's the quintessential victim cycle mentality in our industry right now. Everywhere I go, somebody says, I don't know what it's like where you live, but we can't find good help. And I look at them and I say, what have you done about it? Right. And they go like, uh, because we are we feel like we're victims. So here we go. Ready? So the first stage is we just ignore it. So this comes across like, you know, 25 years ago, there were people saying, hey, we're going to have a skilled labor shortage problem. Most of us, if we were in business at that point, we're going like, what do you mean? I can put an ad in the paper and I can find good people right away, which was true 30 years ago at least. Right? We just denied it was happening. We just said it ain't happening. That's the beginning of going down this victim cycle. Then it's not my job. I see that there's a problem, but I don't accept that I have any responsibility for it. So it's like, You know, looking at the labor crisis, we start seeing, you know, that maybe the trade schools have shut down and it's like, oh, the trade school shut down. Okay, well, I still have help. Right. I still have my team. They're 40 years old right now. I don't think they're ever going to age. Right. They're not going to become 60 ever. And so why do I have to worry about it? All right. The next one. Finger pointing. This is really big. It's like, why are the county governments doing this to us? They're shutting down all the trade schools, they're cutting out all the programs that are designed to build, you know, to to give us new help. Why is somebody else doing this to our industry, right? Now, this right here is my favorite. Confusion, tell me what you want me to do, right? This is the one that that I think is the most important thing for you and your businesses, because quite often we get into these conversations and somebody will say, You know what, just tell me what you want me to do. And immediately you've taken the responsibility off of that person and taken it back on yourself. You've shouldered their monkey. And accountability, good accountability says no, I want you to tell me how you think you can solve this problem. And so by doing that, then they can solve the problem. Now they may need some coaching and we'll get some details on that. But it's like, I was thinking about this with the labor thing, like, What seminar do you wanna hear the most? How do I find good help, right? You wanna go to a seminar where somebody like me will stand up and say, here's the five steps that you need to take to find good help, right? Because I'm the magic bullet, right? It ain't gonna happen, right? So you have to take responsibility for that. You can't be looking for it in a seminar or some other thing, okay? Then we start creating stories as to why we don't have the staff that we need. How's this one? You wouldn't believe it, man. I put an ad in the paper and I've interviewed 25 people and all of them are idiots. Right? I've created a story. They're all so I can't find any good help because everybody out there is an idiot. How about this? It's those millennials. (laughs) Millennials don't want to work. Right? They don't want It's It's true. It's proven by every expert that millennials don't want to work. That's the story we tell ourselves, right? right we that story has been preached over and over again in our offices i they're just not there right and then the last one is i sure hope it gets better i sure hope something changes i sure hope that you know there's a miraculous influx of great staff for our companies these are all the victim cycle okay so i think you can see i hope you can see that so you know there are a lot of different things that come up so these are just some of the things that people say it's not my job i can see there's an issue it's outside of my control we blame it on society you know why why is this happening to me in that sense we create excuses and then the last one i think is we're just so busy we can't so when people are asking me particularly about the labor crisis i'm saying like okay you can't do the same things over and over again you've got to get involved in other ways Great thing happened to me a couple of years, about a year and a half ago, I went to speak at a, a meeting in around the Philadelphia area and I was doing only afternoon programs. I couldn't arrive that morning. So I told the person that was setting it up, "Is said, get me an appointment at a trade school. Let me go into a trade school and talk to, and I thought it was going to be high school. So I was saying the kids ended up being an adult trade school, right? But anyway, so get me in there so I can talk to them about the great opportunities that are in remodeling, you know, it'll be great thing. So I, this fellow set it up, got me in there and I was talking to one of the teachers and I said, where do all these people go after they've been through your program for construction? And they said they go almost exclusively to bridge builders. Okay. They go union and they go into forming bridges, you know, concrete work, right? And I said, well, why do you think that is? And they said, he said, because the union sends representatives in here to talk to these people about coming and joining their companies. Right. So that afternoon, I'm at this meeting. Right. And I start talking about this trade school and everybody in the room goes, what? What trade school? Where? And this is like 20 miles away what trade school are you talking about? And I said, you guys don't know about the Orlean Trade School. And they go, no, what is it? And I'm going like, man, you got to get involved. You got to get busy and get involved with finding getting these people that are paying to go to school to learn construction. So you, now you got to train them when they come to you, right, because they come out like bridge builders, <laughs> right, not cabinet installers, right but you can train people who have some of those skills. So we're just so busy, we don't have time to make that happen. Okay, now, here it is, right? So here are some real below the line issues that we face. The labor force is one of them. Again, if you wanna talk to me about it afterwards, I'm more than happy to talk to you, but I am gonna ask, what are you doing, right? Okay, that's one of the big ones. How about this, I hear this a lot. I do consulting with companies, you know, individual companies, and I'll go into them and I hear a lot of stuff like this guy is great and frame a roof without even thinking, but he's such a bad attitude. It's like, OK. <laughs> what you know, what am I supposed to do about it? or a, a trade contractor? They never show up on time. They don't return your calls. They come unprepared and yet you give them all your work. It's like. We just can't do anything. Trade contractors not cleaning up. We just can't do anything about that, right? Okay, not so, that's a, that's a below the line issue. People don't follow the systems. Hey, do you have this in place? Well, we tried, but nobody would do it, so we don't do it anymore. It's like, whoa, why not? You know, and so that's, that's like we can't, as opposed to we need to. People not showing up on time, Uh, Filling out time cards properly. My carpenters just don't want to do paperwork. Or the the lately it's like, I can't get my team to go onto their phones and download information from co-construct builder trend, whatever program you're using, right? So these are all things that just typically come up when I'm talking with remodeling companies about that we just complain about, but we don't do anything about. Okay. All right, so above the line link thinking is this, what can we do about this? Uh, We always have some power or some control. And again, if you're not a remodeler, just think about your business and who you interact with. You always have some power and some control. There's always something you can do about the situation. It's not outside of your control. And then one of the really big things that we need to remember is uh, uh, just a little thing called shared accountability. So we'll get into some details in a minute on that. Now, one of the biggest issues with accountability that I've seen across the board is what I call just the difference between a reason and an excuse. So if I go to a a team member and I say, so why did you do this? Or how did we decide that we're going to do that? They always have a reason right? However, many times it's simply an excuse, okay? So, for example, now I know there's a little bit of traffic in the Seattle area, right? Okay? I joke, I, I live in a small town in Rhode Island. A traffic jam is more than 10 people at a red light, okay? So, you know, I enjoy not driving around this part of the world, okay? Because there's so much traffic. But what about the person who just can't make it to the job site on time or to the office on time. And it's always because of traffic. Is that a legitimate reason or is it simply an excuse? In my mind, it's an excuse. But many times we go like, oh, yeah, I understand. You know, where you live, it's really terrible. And and that, and you have more traffic than anybody else. And I understand. And so by accepting, that excuse as a legitimate reason, we have basically allowed the individual to get off the hook for something that we want them to to be involved in. Um, A trade contractor that you want them on board with your computer communication system. Again, it could be any one of the three or four that are out there now and they, and they go like, well, we just don't do computers. Okay. I understand you're 60 years old and you haven't had to use a computer yet, but to work with us, right, what? Everybody has to be on the system, okay? Do you wanna work with us or not? But you letting that become the reason reduces the accountability on their part to be part of your uh, system. And so this is one of the principles that they bring out in the Oz Principle. And so by not dealing with the excuses, Then we simply allow people to get away with whatever it is they want to do as opposed to what we need them to do as part of our team. A lot of reasons why we create uh, excuses. I'm just going to throw them up here on the board. Uh, Self preservation is one of them. You know, it's like if I can create a good excuse, you'll leave me alone and I don't get hassled anymore, right? Another one is we just don't want to spend any time working on stuff. It's just like, This is a real problem for business owners that are like visiting job sites and stuff. They come on site, they see some issues. They point them out to the person there, but they've got another appointment they have to run off to. But they never really talk and deal with how to fix that or how to make that, how to change that. But look down at the bottom there. We have all this faulty logic. Let's just again, I don't know how many trade contractors are here. I love you if you're here, right? I'm not down on you. It's just an illustration, right? But it's like that trade contractor that can never show up. It's like we have a million dollars worth of work on the books. If I don't keep this trade contractor busy, we're never going to be able to complete that work. True? No. And in Seattle, there's more than one. (laughs) Right? And so what you have to do is you can't allow that person to control the process. You have to get them working. On board with you. So, we want to make sure that we don't just accept excuses. So, let's talk about joint accountability. So, I mentioned earlier, you know, it's not always the production team that has a problem, right? Okay. Sometimes it's in estimating, sometimes it's in the job package that's been presented to the team, sometimes it is in the estimating, sometimes it is in the sales process. But in almost every situation, there is some kind of joint accountability. So the challenge that we face is that it's a whole lot easier just to lay it on one person. Now in the remodeling world, the production staff will say almost all the time, it's in the estimating or it's in the sales. Like if I ask them, like, what are some of your challenges? They'll say like, we don't get a good estimate, right? Very seldom will they say, we run to the lumber yard 10 times a day. And so it wastes all the money. Right? They never say that to me. Right? Right? OK, but stop and think about it for a second. The lumber yard problem. Is it only a production problem? Probably not. It's probably also a pre-production problem where the job package isn't spelled out enough where that person can plan properly on the job site. So there's like has to be a joint accountability that says, I have some responsibilities as the estimator designer. The field staff has some responsibilities and by both shouldering the responsibilities, we will solve the problem. But if I only blame it on one or the other, we're never gonna solve the problem, okay? So joint accountability will ensure that we don't just let somebody off the hook. Uh, Baseball season, we're in the middle of it. One of the great examples that they have in this book is that when a pop fly ball goes up, like shallow left field, Right, how many people are running after that pop fly? Assuming nobody else is on base, right? Because I know if somebody's on base, we got to cover bases, all that stuff. But you've got three or four people that are running towards that fly ball, and at some point somebody's gonna say, I got it, and then the others are gonna break off. If for some reason that person, you know, is a flying saucer flies overhead and it hits them in the head, right? There's somebody there to pick up the ball, right? So the more people we have looking at the issues the greater chance is that we're going to catch it. It shows that we're willing to assess everything. Now, here's the thing, business owners, as well as mid-level managers, your ability to take responsibility for your part and share it with your team increases the opportunity or the possibility that they're going to own their part of it. Okay? so. Uh, If it always feels like it's someone else's fault or it appears that way to them, it's really hard to take up the responsibility. So part of your challenge is to be sure your team knows that you're working on some stuff too, right? And that that will lead them to be working on things as well. And then obviously, I think we can address the problem better the more people that are engaged in it. So. Little quiz for you midway through here. So in your business, and again, doesn't matter whether you're in uh, remodeling or real estate, who's responsible or accountable for customer service? Everyone. Everyone. Okay, good. That's the easy one, right? So it, we know that. So everybody plays a part in that. We stress that to everybody. Everybody knows that everybody plays a part. What about this one, job profits? Everybody. Seriously? Now, we, Now I'm going to tell you right now, all the ones I have, the answer is everybody. <laughs> right? But stop and think about it just for a second. If you're a remodeling company and you have a job runner, like that runs materials out to your jobs, right? How much do they feel the responsibility of creating profitability for your job? I'm just asking, do they feel it? We know we know everybody should take responsibility for it right but do they feel it do they really own it do they have a sense that as they're doing their job there's some way that they're impacting net profitability okay now lead carpenters I hope you got those you know guys and gals you know focused on that project managers for sure production managers for sure I know that but what about other people okay so maybe a little bit, less everybody there. What about this one? Again, we go back to the labor crisis. Who in your business is accountable for finding new employees? Now, what I find is it's usually one person and it's usually the person that has more to do than anybody else, right? Your field crew again, love the staff, right? They come to work at 7, they go home at 3.30 and they say, I need more help to somebody else, right? So why don't we build a culture that says we need everybody on this team looking out for those new people that would benefit this company. They feel an accountability for that. They feel a responsibility for that. Now, ultimately, somebody has to hire and set wages and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But the more the team feels that accountability, the greater the chances are that we're going to find those people that we need. What about overhead costs? Office manager and the boss, right? The answer is everybody. But does your team really understand that? Do they understand how does your project manager understand how they impact overhead costs? Or maybe more importantly, the percentage as it relates to overall revenue for the company. And again, the more we can get people engaged in that, the greater the chances that we're going to catch all those fly balls that go out there. Uh, in this, in the course of this thing. Good estimating? That's pretty obvious. It's the estimator, right? <laughs> no, it's everybody, right? And now, so you get the idea, and I think there's one more. Yeah, good job, packages. So you get the idea that sometimes we have this feeling that yes, everybody is responsible, but in reality, we've really put it on just one person. Instead of saying, you know what? Uh, Field crew, when you're out there and you're really seeing a problem with the estimate, don't wait till the end of the job to tell us, yeah, we saw that from the very beginning. We wanna know about that day one. We wanna know before you even start the project that we screwed up on the estimate. Then we have a chance of doing something about it as opposed to getting to the end and going like, we knew from the beginning this wasn't gonna work, right? So make sure that we, we feel that. Okay, so we're gonna get right down to the see it, do it. Say it, own it, solve it, do it. Uh, that they talk about in this book and I'll try to make some good uh, illustrations here that'll make sense to everybody in the business. So the first thing is everybody in the room, whether you're the owner of the company or a lead carpenter or the runner, you have to personally apply accountability to yourself. In fact, in our production managers roundtables, we don't talk about holding people accountable. We talk about training people to be accountable themselves, okay? Because you can't hold anybody accountable. If they don't wanna do it, they're not gonna do it, no matter how much you yell and scream, right? So it's not really holding people accountable so much as it training them to think about it personally. So you can see that this comes right out of the book, kind of rephrased in in my words for this. But so, if we're gonna be personally accountable, we have to be willing to admit that we make excuses. So if we're a business owner or a manager, we have to be willing to say there are things that we do and we make excuses for them. Okay, And so we have to uh, understand that. We have to get away from assigning blame to other people. One of the big things is really looking at the facts. What are the facts in the situation? Okay, Like the labor labor shortage that we have out there. What are the facts in terms of what we are doing? Right. And so maybe we're not doing anything. Maybe we're only putting an ad in the paper. Maybe we're, maybe we're doing some other things, but what are the real facts that go into that? The other, One of the other facts is we want people, here's the a, here's a classic uh, want ad for a carpenter, right? Five years experience, a truck and, and all the tools you need, right? That's what we want. Well, guess what? I owned a business after about two years of experience, and I had an old Volkswagen bus and a bunch of tools. I probably couldn't work for you. Right? So why do we create this? So one of the facts may be that we've created this image of a new employee that's unattainable by the stock that's out there right now. So we may need to rethink our image of what we want someone to be. Another thing that's come up recently for me was, a good project manager has to be a great lead carpenter before they become a great project manager. I disagree. I've met people recently. One one person came from high-tech as a project manager. They're knocking the doors off in a remodeling company right outside of Chicago. Just just performing exquisite. Now they had to learn something about construction, right? But they're a great project manager. So there's all these stipulations that we have, these facts that we have to address. Before we can actually move forward. Then we have to ask ourselves, like, okay, in this situation, what's my what am I doing here? And and then be willing to take other people's feedback and actually ask for feedback. Again, as a manager, sometimes we're and owners of companies certainly fall into this. Sometimes we're reluctant to ask our team, what can I do better? How can I change this behavior? Um, You know, business owners are notorious, especially if they're the designer types coming out to jobs and going like, you know, I don't really like the way that looks. Let's change that. Right. And so the team changes it. Right. And then at the end of the job, we go like, how come we're five hundred dollars over budget? Right. Well, you wanted me to change that thing. Right. Okay, so we need to like we need some feedback. This is what you do, boss. This is what's costing us a lot of money. Okay, you got to ask for that. We have this open door policy, right? There's no such thing. Only about 5% of the population will walk through an open door and bring you ideas. The other 95% wait to be asked. Okay, seriously. So you have to go looking. If you're a manager or an owner of a company, you have to go asking like, what can I do better? What can I change to make things run more effectively around here? What can I do that better in terms of the, the production package? and so forth. Now, the job reviews uh, are just something I threw in there to say, if you're not doing job reviews, that's one of the places where you can give that regular feedback, and we're not talking about once a year. We're talking about little short reviews, like every three months, you're sitting down with an employee, let's talk about how things are going, because you can give really good feedback at that point. So we have to see it, right? That's on the personal level. Now we have to own it. So once we see there's a problem, we have to own it. So we're having a problem with our net profitability. We're shooting for 10, we're only hitting two. We've got 8% slippage in there. And so we go like, okay, I see it, but it's not just production's fault, right? Or if you're in production here, it's not just the estimator's fault. So I have some responsibility in there and by doing that, then you can actually solve the problem. So what are my inefficiencies on the job site? We joked about it a little bit ago, but when I ask a lead carpenter like, what are some of the inefficiencies that you see on your job site? They'll they'll look at me and they'll go like, you know, I think things run pretty well. Very seldom are they thinking about what we are not doing or what we're doing that creates this, that helps create this slippage. And the same thing happens on the other end. The older I get, the better I was, right? So if you're a business owner and you used to be out in the field, how long does it take to frame a deck? It's like two hours, right? Because that's what I used to be able to do. right? Yeah, you got it, right? So I put into my estimate what I think I used to be able to do, right? And now I expect somebody else to do it. It doesn't work that way, right? And so we have to look at it and say you know, what, what I have to own that, therefore I can, I can solve it. So the illustration that I have here is one of the only illustration in the book that's about construction, but a high rise that was being built, drywall company, the estimator went through and estimated the whole job. They started doing the work and after two or three floors, you know, it's like the same thing on every floor, two or three floors, they realized doing job cost reporting, right? They realized that they were starting to get behind. They were losing money on every floor. It was brought to everybody's attention. The estimator on their own, nobody said, go back and look at your thing. They said, okay, what part did I play in this? And they, they had missed one wall, right? In the estimate, they had missed one wall multiplied 25 times, right? And so this estimator brings that information he didn't go out on the job site and go, look, you guys got to work harder because, you know, we're losing money on every part of this job. Took that information back to his supervisors and said, I made a mistake, okay? I made a mistake, we lost the wall, every floor is gonna be however many dollars short, we gotta do something. Guess what they did? They fixed the problem. I don't know how they did it, he doesn't go into the details of that, but they did something where the whole job came in on budget. Right, because they caught it early enough, somebody owned it, and then they found a way to solve the problem. So it's a great way to do that. This illustration, the the second little point here, is when I work with companies, and again, I love the business owners, you got a hard job, it's tough owning a business of any kind, but quite often a business owner will say something to me like, you know, Tim, we got 8 percent slippage, and I'm sure I'm part of the problem, but I really want you to help my guys. Right? And again, when if you do that to me, I'll say so, what do you think you're doing or not doing that helps cause the problem? Very seldom can they pinpoint something. And so part of this thing is, if we're going to own it, we can't just go like, I think, I, you know, I'm sure I, there's something I'm doing. but We have to go like, No, this is what I do. I rush jobs into production, or I, I don't, don't really, fo- I didn't don't give the client a good range of product, you know. There's all kinds of things. If you
0: don't know, do you ask for
1: feedback. You ask for feedback. What is it that I that I could be doing differently from the team? Okay. So in order to own it, we have to say I own this problem. So once we own it, we can solve the problem. So we say my part of this is I rush jobs into production. Now I can now I can solve that problem once I own it. So you say. Like what else can I do? You focus above the line. Uh, think, of, you know, think outside the box. One of the things I love about talking, uh, doing my podcast is I'm always learning something because somebody's coming up with an idea I never thought of. One of my podcasts was a contractor in Toronto area that has fired four clients. I went, you got to be on the podcast. That's just mind boggling to me. It's in their contract that the client or the contractor can sever the contract for any reason. And I said, what are some of the reasons you do? it?" Well, one of the three of them have been because they've been mentally abusing my staff. Right? That would be cool. Like, Hey, we can't, don't go back to Mr. Fowler's house because you don't deserve to be treated like that. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? So just that's outside the box thinking, right? That's like, we're thinking different, okay? So that's the kind of thing. We want to find some linkage, and I really love that, that phrase that they use. We want to find some way, somebody that can help me with that, and then really, really important, don't zone out. And I'm afraid, me personally, working with a lot of contractors, I'm afraid that the current upswing in the economy has masked some of our problems, and so we are not dealing with them. Right. So now we can just charge more, which covers all that slippage. And so we are, you know, we're making money. But really when the economy shrinks again or corrects or however you want to say it, we're going to be right back with those problems hitting us. So don't let that, don't let the economy or outside forces take you away from actually solving that problem. And then the last thing is uh, you have to go ahead and, and do it. Okay. So, The big thing here is that all of us have have reasons why we don't follow through on like New Year's resolutions or commitments we make at a meeting or something like that. We all have things that keep us from implementing what we want to do. And if we don't recognize what those are, we keep failing. So you have to understand, like, what is it that gets me off track? What is it that keeps me from actually doing what I want to do? Okay, so. How do we help other people in our company be accountable for themselves? And again, we can't hold people accountable unless they want to be, right? And then what we really want them to do is be accountable for themselves. So we still have to see it, own it, solve it, do it. But it takes a little different flavor. So first of all, we have to help other people see their part of the situation. So there's three basic things here. Number one, you can't be content with excuses. So basically when someone's telling you like, why is it that this is going this way? You have to be willing to say like, okay, Liam, it sounds like we might be dealing with an excuse here, not a legitimate reason. Let's talk a little bit more, right? And, and so we can help them understand that maybe it's not a legitimate reason. Help them list the facts. Job's gotten off budget. We're going downhill, we're getting towards the end of the project, we lost that 8% that we really needed to have, right? And then they're saying it's the estimator, right? The estimator caused the problem. What are the facts? Well, or how about, let's go, to, we knew from the very beginning that it wasn't going to work, right? So what are the facts? Well, number one, you didn't tell us at the very beginning that it wasn't going to work. If you knew that, why didn't you tell us? That's a fact. Number two, you never ask for any job cost reports or if we gave them to you, you didn't do anything with them, right? Or you never asked for any help. You just went out there and worked and never said, hey, we got a problem. List those, get your team to list the facts about how they contribute to the issue and then it helps you get to where you need to be. And then, like we talked about a little bit ago, practice joint accountability. In other words, share with them what you see like in this case here, you know, maybe I didn't insist that you review the job cost reports. Maybe I didn't put them in your hand and say, Charles, read these right now, <laughs> right? Pay attention, to. maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I need to be more assertive with my management with you to help you with that. But you've got a part in it, but you want to display that for them. Make sure that that doesn't become the reason they say, I have no responsibility, right? If you take some responsibility, you can't let them go like, all right, cool. I'm off the hook, right? So you want them to take responsibility as well. So they have to see it. Secondly, they have to own it. So how do we help them own it? Number one, help them see it and own it. So just like help them understand that in many, many aspects of life because something doesn't go right over here, doesn't let us off the hook. Okay. So one of the things that I like to ask companies is does a faulty estimate relieve a project manager or a lead carpenter from the responsibility of actually hitting the budget? See, in my mind, it doesn't. Okay. Now, if they're short, like 50% of the money, then let's be real. We're not going to make that up in the course of a project. But realistically, the Project manager, lead carpenter should say, I'm still responsible for hitting this budget and making the money that we need to make. I just have to figure out how to make that happen. Okay, and the example I like to use is the running back and, and quarterback in a mixed, bl- missed block. And so, you know, it's, you know, football's coming back around, yay. <laughs> okay, and uh, I'm sorry, I don't know all the players on the Seahawks. Uh, <laughs> neither do you. <laughs> I won't tell you who my home team is because I'll too many uh, too many disparaging comments about that. But anyway, but just assume, you know, the ball is snapped. The quarterback passes it off to the running back and an offensive lineman misses a block. Right. What does the running back do? Well, one thing they don't do is they they're about, you know, seven or eight yards back off the line of scrimmage. They put the ball on their hip and they go, that's stupid lineman. I just can't believe that they mit- this is the third time <laughs> this has happened, <laughs> right? Because isn't that kind of the scenario? Like I can't believe every job we get the estimates wrong, right? They don't do that. Nor do they say, "Well, that's stupid, lineman." But you know, if I can, if I can just get a couple of yards back, we won't lose as much. You ever hear that? Like we didn't make what we should have made. We just didn't lose as much, right? No, you didn't make it, right? It just, it's not right. Nor are they content with, you know, tucking the ball and getting back to the line of scrimmage and going like busted play, line of scrimmage, good enough. What are they shooting for? A touchdown there and they don't even want to get a first down. They want to get a touchdown. So that's the idea behind it. Yes. Estimating screws up. Yes. Production screws up. But where do we look at that and say, okay, it's gotten messed up, but let's get back on track. That's owning the situation, okay? So for those of you who are managers, sometimes we have to be a little more persistent in helping people to own it, okay? So we can't just, and, and I, I think the passive-aggressive behavior uh, tends to kind of kick in here. And me being a conflict avoider, I'm, I'm a good example. You know, if someone starts pressing me for something, I go, okay, I got it, I got it. And then they go, okay, good, you got it? I got, I got it. And, like, I don't got it. <laughs> you know, I don't got it. I just don't want to be in this conversation, right? And so you got to watch out for that. So you have to say something like, okay, you got it, good. Tell me what you got. Tell me in your words what you got. And by doing that, then you can really see if there's real ownership on their part, okay? So then we can solve it, right? Once I own it, once me and my team own that there's a problem here, that something has to be fixed. Now we can solve it. Okay. So we might need to have a little venting. We might need to have a little complaining, a little grousing, but then we need to say, okay, what else can we do? And so what, remember back on the, the, um, below the line stages. One of the things was, uh, you know, we just want to be told what to do. Don't let your team member, say to you, look, Liam, just tell me what you want me to do. I, I know things are screwed up. Just tell me what I should do. Because then it goes back on the manager and they're responsible because like I do what he says. And guess what? It didn't work because it wasn't mine. I went like, yeah, I tried that. I, I called the sub and said, you know, yeah, dude, my boss said, you really need to be here because we're going to, you know, la, la, la. And the, and the sub goes, sorry, I can't be there, right? or I can own it and I can be a little more assertive with the sub because it's mine, right? And so uh, make sure that people find those answers. Let people think outside the box. And this is one of the, another challenge for people who own businesses. We've run it a certain way for a long time. It worked for us for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever and we're just not gonna let it go a different direction. Let people think a little bit. Let people brainstorm, come up with crazy ideas about how you can do it. How can we make the estimate more effective? Listen to all those ideas because there may be one in there that just is gold. Okay, so don't let, don't let people think outside the box and again, don't zone out on it and then Lastly, uh, for this and very close to the end of things here, uh, we wanna figure out how do we get other people to do what they've said. They've said, this is what I can do, and so now we need to make sure that they follow through. One of the worst things is to go through this whole thing and then just let it fade, right, with nothing changes. So again, same kinds of things. What are some of the implementation failures? So for example, I advocate with companies you know, do a really careful planning by production before they ever start the project. Detailed planning, two or three hours of time. And then I always ask companies like, what are some of the things that'll keep this from happening? Because I know everybody's busy, everything's, you know, moving at a chaotic pace. And so I know that that's gonna be one of the first things that gets set aside. So I want people to think it through, like what are some of the things that'll keep a production manager or a project manager from really doing a great job planning for the next. Lead carpenters, daily planning, right? That'll solve a lot of your problems, but you gotta stop and go like, what are some of the reasons why we don't do daily planning? And how do we deal with those on a daily basis as opposed to, yeah, I'm gonna do some daily planning and then the next day it's like, boom, gone. Why? Because there's a sub talking to you or you gotta, you know, there's all kinds of things that happen, so watch out for that. Scheduled follow-up is absolutely critical by a manager. And again, another mistake we make is that we say, okay, Liam, you're going to do this. He says, yes, I'm going to do it. And we just let it go, right? You made the mistake of sitting right there. <laughs> that We just let it go. Because he's a, what? He's a good guy. He's a hard worker. He works really hard. I know he'll do it. I don't know. Because all this other stuff's going to get in the way. And so I need to say, how about, How about if you work on this for about a week and then let's get together next Monday and talk about how it's going, right? As a manager, as someone to help with that, I need to do that follow-up. Otherwise, he might do it for a week but it may slide because it's not a habit yet. And oh, by the way, I read a book a little while ago that says like habits take much longer than 10, 10 times. It's like an average of 60 days or something like that of doing a habit before it really becomes a habit. And so you have to keep the follow-up going on. Now, if things don't go very well, keep the original goal in mind. This is a critical thing, because sometimes now you may need to change a tactic, you may need to figure out a better way to do it, but keep the goal in mind. So again, going back to net profitability, we really want to hit net profit of 10 for our projects, every project or Aggregate across the across the 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 whole thing, you know, you're struggling with something. Then you go like, well, maybe for this year, five percent's good enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> and what have you done? Basically, you've got like you just you cut your throat really is what it amounts to. But keep that there. Now you may not hit it in the six months you're shooting for, but keep it out there as the goal. Otherwise, we'll never ever really hit what we're trying to shoot for. Okay. So get people to do what it is they're going to say, whatever, what, what they need to do. So this is, a, we're going to wrap right up here. Here's just a couple of things. And this is a, one of the cool things with companies that have done this. Uh, like I, I did a little training for a company outside of uh, Boston, where they had their whole team read this book, The Oz Principle. It's a very easy read. I believe it's on audio. So if you have people that are traveling quite a distance, they can listen to it. Uh, very, very good. But if you can get them talking to each other, so what's happening in some of these companies is they read the book, they have some conversation about it, and so they're out on the job site. And I'll pick on Seth now. Go like, "Hey, Seth, you're getting below the line, dude," and and he knows, right? And so then that becomes a language that we share that says, you know, "Hey, let's let's be positive. Let's think positively about how we can actually." Change that, or sounds like we're in a victimology here, or sounds like we're talking like victims. So you use the language of the book or whatever language you'd like to use. The one minute manager meets the monkey. Another another great one for the whole team to read because you can go, hey, you picked up his monkey, didn't you? <laughs> or uh, like, when are you gonna drop some of those monkeys so you can, you know, it's a great way for everybody to have a common experience. Really encourage honesty, okay? And, and be open, Avoid. try to avoid defend, defensiveness on your part, but model for your team that you're gonna face those, uh, those things that you need to face. Uh, there's a whole, there's a great section in the book on above the line questions to try to get people thinking above the line. Look at those, use some of those with your team. Reward above line thinking and have goals uh, for the team in terms of implementing this thinking. One of the things that um, I was thinking i I've, some reason I've watched uh, Men in Black several times over the last month or so. But if you remember the scene from the original Men in Black when Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are sitting there before he becomes a Men in black. Uh, you know, Tommy Lee Jones is walking off and Will Smith goes, is it worth it? Right. And he goes, yeah, it's worth it if you're strong enough. OK. And I think about that with this idea right here. So it is worth all the effort that it takes to do this, right? So again, I can stand up here, wave my hands, like, like talk about how easy this is. It's not easy, I'll guarantee you. It's so much easier just to blow it up, like can't deal with that now, right? That's so much easier than taking the time to deal with some of these things. But if you do it, then the company starts to gel, you get a much better results for all the effort that you put into it. The business owner slash mid-level managers are not taking all the responsibility for everything, but it's a shared experience for everybody in the company. So it's worth it, but it takes a lot of work to make it really happen. Thank you.